Istanbul is one of the world's great cities, period. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today, we're taking a close-up look at the city where Europe meets Asia. I've invited two Istanbul tour guides to offer an insider's look at their hometown. Once known as Byzantium, then as Constantinople, this grand and ancient city has become a thriving 21st century metropolis, home to about 15 million Turks. Our guests will lead us through the highlights of this complex city. In addition to world-class sightseeing from the famous Blue Mosque to the Topkapi Palace, Istanbul offers visitors a feast for all the senses. The sound of the Muslim call to prayer warbling over the rooftops, the smell of apple tobacco from a water pipe, and the warmth of sharing a pot of mint tea over a backgammon board with a new Turkish friend. Come along as we learn how to experience Istanbul with confidence and style in the hour ahead. It's travel with Rick Steves. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today our focus is Istanbul, truly one of the world's great cities. Istanbul is where East meets West. On my last trip, it occurred to me this is the biggest city in Turkey, and it combines the bustle of a Western European metropolis with an unmistakably and very rich Turkish culture. This is the capital of Western Islam. Tourists come here, and they're blown away by the minarets, and they wake up to the sound of the call to prayer. Today, I'm joined by a couple of friends who have co-authored a guidebook. Actually, it's the first Rick Steves guidebook that I didn't write. Tan and Lali Aran are friends of mine who are tour guides in Istanbul. They're both Turks. They know their city well, and they've written the Rick Steves Guide to Istanbul, and they join me today to share an insight into their great city. Lali and Tan, thanks for joining us. Hi, Rick. Hi, Rick. Nice to have you here. You say uh, Nesselson, is that right? Nesselson, and yes, the answer is Iyum. Nesselson meaning? How are you? Iyum means good. good. And it continues as, Pekisiz nasılsınız? And what is that? And how are you doing? And uh, I can say Iyum. Yes, you Çok, can, can say. I, can I say çok güzel? Yeah, well, you can say çok iyiyim, but not çok, çok güzel. Çok güzel means very... Very good. Very good, but in a different context. Very yes. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of my favorite things. When I, I just got back from uh, Turkey recently, and when I sat in the cab at the airport, it just came to me. It was like a deja vu. I love saying çok güzel because everything is just very... You said it to the cab driver? I said it to the cab driver. Did he respond? He probably smiled and looked at me like <laughs> I was a silly tourist. <laughs> What did I? What, what what would he think if a tourist said çok güzel? Well, it would be surprising someone getting into your car and saying çok güzel. <laughs> <laughs> very beautiful. You have a very beautiful taxi. Well, a big smile comes onto my face when I get back to Turkey, and I'm just Istanbul is changing. There is a huge new affluence. What's going on with the affluence of Istanbul? It's definitely changing. It's getting uh, more crowded. Lots of people moving in. It's getting more metropolitan, but uh, we're missing that old Istanbul. You're missing be, it. Uh, yes. A million people. Today, what's the population? Today, it's like uh, almost 15 million. Almost 15 million? Nobody talks about that, but 15 million people live in that city. It's a very confined area. It's not as accessible as in the past, but uh, still it protects its charm. It's really interesting. So when you miss the old Istanbul, what are you thinking about? I think I'm missing France. I think I'm missing those, uh, uh, you know, uh, neighborhoods. Ah, See, the point is, Tankut was born and raised in Istanbul. So he's missing the good old days when you could travel from point A to point B, even across the continent, in 20 minutes. Oh. It does not happen much anymore. With the people moving in, population increasing, traffic has become a problem for us. Now, the population has sprouted from 1 million when you were a boy. To when, when I was a kid. To when 15. I was 7, 8 years old. That, and that was a few years ago, but, but you're not an old man. So, and now it's 15 million. So this is not a matter of population, uh, people having lots of babies. This is a matter of people moving in from, moving the, countryside. In from the countryside. So why would so many people move into the big capital city? Uh, we got a saying in Turkish. We say uh, sand is golden in Istanbul. And people looking for gold. Oh, this looking for uh, so in other words, better opportunities, job opportunities, and they want to be... Higher standards uh, of the thing. They want to live in the higher standards. What they're after is a gold card, probably. They're carrying in their pockets. The sand is golden. I think in English we would say uh, the streets are paved with gold. Same, Same thing. thing. So mm-hmm. the money is in Istanbul. Yes. Now, Istanbul is no longer a cheap place. I was struck by how expensive hotels are. You go out for dinner, and it costs you uh, 15 or $20 to have a nice dinner. Um, that's uh, no longer a real cheap destination. Well, when you compare Istanbul with itself... Compare Istanbul to what it was 15 years ago, you're right about it. It's not as cheap as it used to be, but when you compare it with the rest of Europe, it's still cheap. 
And if you compare Istanbul with a small town in the east, is there... Istanbul is more expensive. Istanbul is the most expensive city in Turkey. Okay. So now they've got the new lira, which is in the neighborhood of a dollar in its value. Almost. Tell me about the old lira. We used to have six zeros. Six zeros? Zeros. So we were talking in millions, and uh, people still talk talk in millions. And don't be surprised when you get there and uh, people tell you about the millions, and uh, don't, don't, just don't be surprised about that. So what was the exchange rate before they dumped the old lira and got the new one? Uh, dollar was like a million and uh, 500,000. One so and a half million. If you had a dollar million. in your one pocket, you had a million and a half. So everybody was a millionaire. We feel like there's uh, quite a bit of pressure on the exchange rates nowadays, so uh, this might as well be a temporary thing. The value of the dollar could uh, raise in Turkey, particularly. The value of the dollar? Yes. Meaning you might have... I mean, it gets down to 1.2. It may go back up again. We're trying to bring the inflation down, and uh, one of the easiest ways of doing this was to put pressure on the foreign exchange rates. That's what the government is doing nowadays. To try to keep your lira from devaluing. Exactly. Now, when people are traveling in Istanbul, they want to have experiences. You don't just want to see them a couple of famous mosques. Well, you're going to see a couple of famous mosques, and you're going to go to the museums, but you want to have an experience. What experience would you be sure that a visitor would have to have a good, rich memory when they're in Istanbul? Well, this actually depends how much they are going to spend in Istanbul. If they're going to spend only one day, of course, I cannot suggest anything else but seeing the highlights of the city. But if they have more time than that, they should go out of the core of the historic city, which is the tourist zone, and have a real-life experience where they would see Turkish people in their daily routine, maybe in the modern part of Istanbul, around the Istiklal Street area, maybe in Eyüp area, where you can see more of the religious followers, more of the religious people. So that's a good point, Lolly. By the way, I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and I'm speaking with Lali and Tankut Aran, who are guides from Istanbul, and they work with me uh, co-authoring a guidebook that we've done to Istanbul. And when Americans go to Istanbul, I think it's important that they get a balanced view. You were saying exactly. you go to Eyüp for the traditions yes. and Taksim Square area for the modern life. Exactly, because it's very hard to say one thing about Istanbul. It's a place where 15 million people live, and it's diverse. It's not only diverse in means of activities, diverse in means of cultural ethnicity. There are people who'd like to, on their free time, go to the mosques, go to the religious places, go and visit the mausoleums of the people who are holy to them. And this is part of daily life going on. It's reality. And if you just trap yourself within the tourist zone of the old Istanbul, the historic core, you don't get to see the real life, real people in their daily routine. And if you go to north of the old town, you get to go to the Taksim area, Istiklal Square area, where you see the modern business Istanbul with people working in Western world rather than the Eastern world. So now, Lali, you said Eyüp is the place for the traditional kind of the pilgrims, the Muslim pilgrim scene in Istanbul. Is that E-Y-U-P? Yes, it is. E-Y-U-P. I think it's interesting for people coming from a Christian country to go to a Muslim country and realize there's pilgrims there, and they're going to holy places in Istanbul. Yes. Now, there's another kind of tourism called cruise business. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of cruise people coming into Istanbul? Thousands of. Tell me about that. They are regular visitors among Istanbul, and the city appreciates their business very much, I must say. But they're in and out mostly the same day, And the cruise ships usually dock on the European side of the Bosporus near the modern town. They really don't have much time to see Istanbul. So normally they have one day. One day, Rick. And sometimes they contact us asking what would be the best for them to do in a day. And as I always say that in a day, you can only get to the major highlights of the city. If you want to see more than that, you need to stay more. And sometimes some of them take my advice and come to Istanbul earlier than their trip starts. Uh. And enjoy the city. So when you're walking across the town in the morning and you look over at the place where the cruise ships dock and there'd be two or three cruise ships there, Mm -hmm. how many people does that translate into? Depends on the ships, but um, some big ones can accommodate about 3,000 passengers. So you could have six or 8,000 people pouring off of those cruise ships every morning. And going to the particular museum. And they all go to the same places, probably. Usually. What what are the three big things they'll visit? uh, The Topkapı Palace, the Blue Mosque, Hagia Sophia Cathedral. And those are all right together in right together. what people would call old Istanbul. Mm-hmm. That region's called Sultanahmet, is that right? Sultanahmet, yes. Why is it called that? Uh, it's named after the Blue Mosque. 
Actually, the Blue Mosque is not the Blue Mosque to us. It's the Mosque of Sultan Ahmed, Mosque of Ahmed, Emperor Ahmed, who had him built. Ah, so, so Sultan the area, would be Emperor. Yes. So it's the, Sultan Ahmed is the Mosque of the Emperor Ahmed. Ahmed, exactly. And the area is named after the mosque, and the mosque is named after the Sultan. Okay. When you see a bunch of cruise tourists walking through Sultan Ahmed, following the little the paddle flag. with the number of their tour mm-hmm. of their tour guide. It's all about numbers. It's numbers. Uh, one, two, and three. Each have, so they've each met their guide, right, on the yeah. dock? Yeah. What do you think when you look at that? You know, they're not seeing anything. It's just uh, through somebody else's eyes, just a few hours, and that's so it. they're that's scratching the it. surface. Yeah. You know, it breaks just my like heart. Just like in Ephesus. It's so sad. I mean, let's get away from the cruise ships. There's just a place I call the Green Zone in Istanbul, where all the American-friendly hotels are right there below uh, the Blue the, Mosque. The Blue Mosque. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I stay there, and it's just very comfortable. Everything's in English. It's, it's very uh, tourist-friendly. But the risk is that people spend too much time there, and they don't get away from that. They need to understand that Turks are not the people trying to sell them rugs on the streets. And, um, so how know, do you get just, away from that? In the old town, there's no way you can get away from this. You just have to go to another part of the city, go across the Bosphorus and go to Kadıköy, for instance, and uh, get to see the real life there. That's now, you're talking about leaving Europe, go to Asia. Uh, yeah. How do you do that? So that's where I was born and uh, raised. And uh, the part of town is uh, basically social democrats, and you hardly see any headscarves on the, on the ladies. You know, that's a different part of town. And uh, Istanbul is a huge city. It actually is uh, very cosmopolitan, and uh, though it's a confined area, there's very many locations that you, uh, you get to see different kind of people. And you made a very interesting point. You know, you go across the Bosporus to the Asian side of Istanbul. You don't see people with their traditional headscarves and so on. Oh, I'm talking about east is west. Yeah, this is, ironically, you go to the east, you get <laughs> to the west. You get to the west. <laughs> and you go in on the west and you got the east. How many people cross the Bosporus every day in their workaday work? Uh, millions of people. Literally millions crossing millions the Millions of people cross every day. This is a busy waterway. It is. And uh, add to it international traffic going through the Bosphorus from the Black Sea down to uh, the Mediterranean. Now, there's quite a few countries around the Black Sea, and uh, that's the only way out. So that's all their sea trade goes the Bosphorus and that's uh, the Dardanelles. Only way out. I love it. When I'm in the hotel, I go up for breakfast on the rooftop, and I look out in the morning, and I see all of this heavy-duty ocean-going traffic charging up and down the Bosphorus. In a day, approximately 60 or 70 huge super tankers go through Bosphorus, and about 15, 16 of them are oil tankers that are... Um, Longer than 200 meters. Wow. What would it make in yards? I don't know, but they're big. 200 meters. Big they're usually 700 feet long. They're hundreds big. of ships That's waiting no trying to get mm, to... They're huge ships. All right, so, and Istanbul has been a capital for several different civilizations, for several different empires, for yes. 2,000 years. Yes. And yes. it's a strategic location yes, right it there, is. Yes, bottling it up is. all that traffic. Yes. I'm speaking with Lali Sermon Aran and her husband Tankut Aran. They're friends of mine, they're guides from Istanbul. They've got a brand new baby named Zuzu. How's Zuzu doing? Oh, he's very well. Thank you for asking. Oh, I just had so much fun visiting your... We'll talk in the next uh, okay. uh, bit about visiting your home. Okay. And uh, we're talking Istanbul. This is Rick Steves, and it's Travel with Rick Steves. Eight seven seven three three three Ricks. Our phone number as the sounds of the barges and the birds of the Bosporus take us to Istanbul, along with our guests, Tan and Lali Aran. And tell us about your impressions of Istanbul in our website message board. It's at ricksteves.com. Eight seven seven three three three rick That's our phone number. Radio at ricksteves.com is the email address. My friends Tan and Lali Aran are our guests today as we explore their hometown of Istanbul on Travel with Rick Steves. 
Tan and Lali, when I go to Istanbul, I want an experience. I want to I want to get away from the tour groups around the Blue Mosque and so on. And one great way to do that is to get down to the Galata Bridge, I think, and connect with all the action there. For you, what's a good memory on the, the main bridge that crosses the Golden Horn between Old and New Istanbul? It's definitely a different experience. First of all, you get away from the touristy feeling of the center of the old town. That's a place where you get to see locals with fishing rods. Some are fishing for fun. Some are fishing for the food on their table. And um, some are fishing to sell if they can fish enough. So it's just a bunch of group of people that with the fishing rods from morning till the end of the day, all side by side, And uh, it's fun to talk to them. You can talk to them. You can stroll through them. And when you go to the lower level of the bridge on the Golden Horn, there are simple eateries that you can have a fast meal or a slow meal, either or. Not only that, enjoy the view from the bridge. Because when you turn towards the old town and look at it, I guess you Americans say a million-dollar view. This would be a multi-million dollar view. A multi-million dollar view, Yes, exactly. The monuments you get to see are among the most fabulous of the world. And you have people sitting around sucking on these big hookahs. They're like giant bongs. The nargile. Nargile, right. It has nothing to do with tobacco or marijuana. This is just, uh, what's in the nargile? Uh, fruit scents. So in shaved and dried apple or something? Shaved and dried apples or apricots or diff- strawberries, cherries. But the most popular flavor is the apple flavor. Mm-hmm. And um, I've never tasted it myself, but there's the... Cappuccino flavor. Cappuccino. Espresso flavor. So you go for the apple. I go for the apple. Now, people are smoking this, but you get no um, nicotine effect no, or No, there's nothing. no tobacco in no it. No buzz at all. No buzz so at all. So why do people smoke it? Just for fun. And uh, it's like drinking an apple juice, but nothing goes into your stomach. Well, that's a good way to put it. And you have one big pipe that you're passing around, a big water pipe, mm-hmm. and different mouthpieces. Yes. For little just for individual. Hygiene. Yes, little individual mouthpieces are given to everybody, so it's not only one person's fun. Several people can enjoy it at the same time. And any tourist could drop into a place when they see people smoking on these big water exactly. pipes. Exactly. Drop in. Mm-hmm. Ask for one hookah or nargile, as we say in Turkish, yeah. and, and as many mouthpieces as you need. And they'll stoke it with whatever flavor you like. Yes. Uh-huh. Is it addictive? No, it's not. You won't get addicted. No, not at all. That's good. I'm talking with Tan and Lolly. We're talking about Istanbul. We have uh, some callers on the line. The number is 877-333-RIC. That's 877-333-7425. Or you can always email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Let's talk to Robert in Cincinnati. Robert, thanks for calling us. Hi, how are you doing? We're doing good. You got a question or a comment for Tan and Lolly? Yeah, we'll be going to uh, Istanbul and Turkey. And we were just wondering, like, you know, what the different customs and those kind of things to be aware of that we might not be familiar with. Cultural faux pas. Yeah. Okay, what is what are some pitfalls that somebody might... Uh, that when you see Americans, uh, what, what do they do unknowingly that causes them problems or makes them seem kind of... Uh, Actually, nothing. So there's nothing to worry nothing. about? Nothing. Especially, well, most... This is a very... First of all, hello, Robert. I want to say hello to you in Turkish. Merhaba. Oh, hello. Hello. Um, This is a very common question we get. People want to know if there are things that they might do which are not appropriate or things that they might wear which are not appropriate. The answer is really very simple. I've been coming to United States for several years, and whatever I see as social behavior or the clothes of people in United States is very appropriate for Turkey also. What about the mosque, if you visit a mosque? The mosque is a religious building. That would be the only exception. When going to a mosque, people expect you to respect their religion and their traditions, and this is really simple to do. They expect the visitors to have covered shoulders and covered knees. You don't have to be covered from top to toe, but covered shoulders and knees. Shoulders and knees, like in Europe. Like in Europe, and um, it's good for the ladies to have a scarf for their hair. Okay, and can they get that there if they don't have it? Yes, they can. Right at the mosque? Yes. And most mosques, especially the ones frequently visited by the foreign visitors, there's a stack of scarves that you can use to, or if you have short shorts, they'll give you a toga-like cloth to wrap around your belly that you can go in. That's a visitor-friendly place. Robert, thanks for the call. All right, thank you. And Barbara's calling us from Lexington, Massachusetts. Hi, Barbara. Oh, hi. Thanks for your call. Got a question for Ton and Lolly? Yes. Uh, could you tell me uh, how I would go about um, visiting uh, synagogues in Istanbul? And w- 
what the uh, climate is like for Jewish Americans and Americans in Istanbul right now? Visiting synagogues in Istanbul um, depends on the ones. First of all, all of the synagogues would ask you to have a photo ID. As you're a foreign visitor, they would require to have a passport. And if you want to visit some historical synagogues, they are by appointment only, so you need to contact them and make an appointment before going there. Is that because of security concerns? It is because of security concerns. It's just, it really makes sense, and it's understandable, because in in the past there were some attacks to the synagogues. There, That's right. There have been some bombings in front of synagogues and yes, so on in so, Istanbul. So, is there much of an, a Jewish community in Istanbul? Yes, there is. Well, of course, it's minor when compared to the huge population of Istanbul, but there has always been a Jewish population living in Istanbul. It's not for our modern day. It's been like this in the past also. What was your the second part of your question? Uh, well, I guess what the climate is like what uh, in terms of, you know, American Jews or Americans in Istanbul? I mean... Turkey is a country where, in general, Jews can be very comfortable, regardless of the nation their passports belong to at the moment. And there's this traditional history between the Jews and the Turks established back in the 15th century, and still the good relations go on. You know, I was just there for a week, and I found no um, angry political graffiti or slogans or this sort of thing around. And, uh, of course, oh, there's, it's a heightened time from uh, governments working together and wars going on and terrorism and everything. But, Barbara, really, uh, I, I think you can be very comfortable as an American in Turkey, regardless of... Uh, the disagreements between countries and their foreign policies. You know, I, I, I can vouch for that just from my own personal experience there. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call. And Krista's on the phone from New York. Hi, Krista. Thanks for your call. Uh, you're welcome. Um, I have two questions. Is that okay? Sure. I've always understood that Istanbul is a very interesting city and the last stop on the Orient Express and I was wondering if she, that's still um, a possibility to go to Istanbul on the Orient Express. And then my second question is about Istanbul has a, a long heritage of also being a Christian city. And uh, is it possible to uh, tour these ancient sites in the city? Okay, let's get to that first question, Tan and Lolly, about the Orient Express. Uh, the Orient Express actually means any express train to the Orient, to the East. In the past, that's what it was. So there was not only one Orient Express. The one famous that we read in the novels or see in the movies was one particular that was run by Simplon Company, Simplon Orient Express, and it's not running anymore. So you're talking about any train from, like, Paris or London that to the Orient? That goes to Orient is an Orient Express. Okay. But the famous one was the Simplon Orient Express, and it stopped sometime during 1970s. Now, I believe there's a fancy tour company that offers a luxurious hotel train trip that they sell as the Orient Express. Yes, it's, yes. It's, you know, yes. your top-of-the-top kind of posh train travel, like trying to recreate the elegance of the old days. But it doesn't really have a lot to do with Istanbul, I don't think. Not really. And, you know, the funny thing is these days, anybody who's on a budget is going to fly to Istanbul, I think. It's so cheap to fly compared to spending three days on the train. And it's the easiest. Right. What about the rich Christian heritage of, of Istanbul or Constantinople? It's still there, and people can visit it without a problem. Some of the places, these places are museums, such as the Hagia Sophia Cathedral or the Kora Church. Actually, this was uh, the, the capital city of the Byzantine Empire, which is East Roman Empire, and you see some of the best preserved monuments of this uh, empire throughout the centuries. The most important one is Hagia Sophia, still standing after 1,500 years of use. Many of these churches were converted into mosques in the 15th century and onwards as the Christian population diminished throughout the centuries. People kept using them as mosques or um, you know, up for other purposes too. But in 1920s, almost all of the important ones were converted into museums, so it's easy to go, very casual places. By the way, there are still active synagogues and uh, churches in Istanbul, uh, basically in the new district area that used to be the residential area of the minorities uh, back in the 18th and 19th centuries, and uh, very casual. Every one of them has uh, uh, caretakers, and all you need to do is just knock on the door, and you can just step in. So when you think about it, I mean, if I just think of my history, it was Constantinople, the name of Istanbul before, was named after Constantine. He legalized Christianity, I believe, in the Roman Empire. So you could say from 300 until 1500, Istanbul was a Christian city. And it then was. It's a longer Christian than Muslim. 
That's really interesting. Uh, when you said Constantinople, this reminded me of something else. Constantinople means the city of Constantine. But people kept using polis. That meant the city. So Istinpoli meant going to the city. So Istanbul comes from this. Istinpoli, I'm going to the city. Turks misunderstood that. It turned out to be Istanbul. Huh. Going to the city, Istanbul. And for 500 years, it's been a, primarily a Muslim city, but it has a thousand-year heritage of a, as a Christian capital. It sure does. And even today, isn't it the um, center of the... Isn't the Greek Orthodox, like Patriarch. the equivalent of the Pope of the Greek Orthodox religion, is not Patriarch's in Greece? Patriarch's office is in Istanbul. It is. He's in Istanbul. Now, how do you explain that? Well, that's a difficult uh, question to answer. I mean, Greeks uh, and Turks are not the best of friends, and their religious leader is I in think Greece Turkey. is trying to create some kind of uh, Vatican-like organization there, and uh, Turks are not happy about that, but uh, still, Istanbul had always been uh, uh, the very center of Christianity. Well, the Pope is in Rome because that's where apparently Peter was buried, and that's sort of his lineage as far as popes go. Why would the Greek Orthodox patriarch not be in Greece, but would be in Constantinople or Istanbul? Well, Constantinople is an important city for the Greeks. It's always been uh, the very center okay. of uh, So it dates back to a time when it was a Christian capital. Exactly. I mean, that's one of the points between uh, Turkey and Greece. There was a time when there were more Greeks in Turkey and more Turks in Greece, right? And then what happened? In 1920s, we had this uh, population, the so-called population exchange between the communities. Think about it. You know, Turkey and Greece were in war uh, Mm. for for so many years, and people were uncertain about their future. So uh, voluntarily, very many families decided to exchange. But till 1950s, there was a a greater Greek community in Istanbul till after the Second World War. I think it's similar to, I would imagine, in India, when uh, Pakistan and India split. It was for religious reasons. One country wanted to be Hindu, the other wanted to be Muslim. If you happen to be Hindu in Pakistani territory, I bet you packed up and moved into India. Muslims in India, a lot of them would have packed up and moved to Pakistan just because it fit their heritage. You got Greece and Turkey having a similar thing when Turkey becomes an independent nation in the 1920s. This is really interesting. This goes down to Ottoman heritage because Ottomans never, ever got involved in the uh, national or ethnic origins of the people. So uh, Turk and Greeks in the past in the Ottoman Empire meant the Christians and uh, Muslims. So wow. that, was a, that was some exchange based on the religious heritage of the people. So Muslims were the Turks. So they ended up in uh, Asia Minor and uh, Greeks were the Orthodox Christians and they ended up in Greece. Krista from New York, your call about the uh, rich Christian heritage of the city. It's a complex religious heritage of the city. And uh, Ton mentioned the Korah Church, which has got some of the most dreamy and sumptuous mosaics in Christian art history right there, dating back to the time when the Greek Orthodox was the dominant religion there. Thanks, Krista, for your call. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Had an email from Andy in Lansing, Michigan. And Andy asks, what should we expect with regard to communication in English in Turkey? Is there much of a language barrier for English speakers in Turkey? Up to an extent, yes, there is. And from another perspective, no, there is not. If people stick around in the tourist zone of Istanbul or anywhere in Turkey, people that cater, people that have businesses that cater to travelers will all speak English. So if you're dealing with tourism people, they're going to yes, speak English. Yes, they're going to speak English. When you're out of the tourist zone of any place, also in Istanbul, uh, you will find people that speak English, they may not be as fluent or they may not be as easy to understand, but English is a language that everybody gets to learn, even in the public school. Okay, so that is the second language. It is the For second. educated people. Choose yes. a, a young educated person or somebody in tourism and you're likely to find English help. Exactly. Talking about language barrier, one of the hosts of one of the pensions, our group stay, his name is Fuat. And one day, one tour member walked up to him and asked his name, and he said, Fuat. <laughs> what? They said, and what's your name? She, yeah, and she thought he was saying, what? <laughs> and then she said, what? What's your name? And Fuat said, Fuat. <laughs> and finally, tour member came up to me saying that I'm asking his name. He keeps telling me what. <laughs> That's his name. It's like, who's on first? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? Susan in Madeira, California. Susan, hi. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have two questions, and the first one I think Tom answered part of, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway because it doesn't have to do with a Christian focus so much. I recently spent about two and a half weeks in Turkey, and when I was in Istanbul, I kept hearing about uh, the unique, diverse population coexisting on the crossroads between Asia and Europe, and the term melting pot was used to describe the population there. 
and it felt culturally and spiritually complex. But when I looked at the faces of the people, I saw Turkish faces. And with the exception of tourists, I don't recall seeing what I'm used to seeing through my American eyes in a melting pot with Africans, Indians, East Asians, or Europeans. And other members of my group noticed this also. My question is, how has the human face of such a wonderful, thriving city like Istanbul remained so Turkish? That's a good question. And uh, could you be more specific when you say uh, Turkish faces? Well, um, I guess I understood you, Susan. Uh, dark, dark skin. Well, is that, what, uh, or curly hair? Well, well, I would say, dark, dark if I, you know, in America, the melting pot is red and yellow, black and white. Right. I mean, you got Asians, you got Black Africans, you've got people from South America, whatever. You got indigenous Indians, and you got Caucasians from Europe. Uh, I think Turkey is a very complex society, but it doesn't have that far-reaching complexity. Right. It's different. What are the ethnic groups that would make up Turkey? There's, there's over a hundred. There's over a hundred, and they might to us look like Turks, but I think to you... That you includes ethnic Turks, ethnic Arabs, ethnic Kurds, ethnic uh, Greeks, lots of, lots of people. But in a way, uh, those people are the people of the Mediterranean. Uh, you so know, when, you walk down so when you walk down the main drag, can you see the ethnicity in people? I see, I see different faces. I see different uh, facial because I don't. expressions. Like, just like Susan's asking, to me, everybody looks Turkish, but you as a Turk can actually distinguish when you look at people. I can distinguish that, but uh, you have to look uh, more than skin deep. Right. I mean, you have to look right. at the fa uh, facial expressions. You have to look at the cheeks and the chin and the eyes and the eyebrows and the color of the hair and, uh, uh, you know, the way they act. Uh, everything is different. Now, is, is Istanbul a multi-ethnic melting pot to you? Istanbul is, uh, ethnically, is a very complicated city. All right. Susan, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Thank you. I understand your question very well, and I understand your point very well also, Rick. It is, um, it's a different kind of multi When we look to Far East as an example, a Chinese and a Japanese and a Korean... I can't tell. I can't tell either. <laughs> but within my society, I can tell the differences. Sure. But the point is, Turks look um, more like Greeks, Italians, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. And yeah. people it's of the geography uh, around Asia Minor look alike anyway. I mean, yeah. I mean, an Italian can walk in Istanbul and you ask for directions. Sure. I'm speaking with Lolly and Tan Aran, two friends of mine who are tour guides in Istanbul, and we're studying and exploring the exciting city that bridges east and west, Istanbul. The Bosphorus is not enough to separate us if we just trust the stars. We'll sail over obstacles. That's what they're there for. It's about where we're going. We've already left where we are. It can't be too far now to We'll fill up the cultural samovar for another round of robust Turkish tea as Tan and Lolly take your calls and answer your emails about Istanbul. 877-333-RIC, that's our phone number. Radio at ricksteves.com is the email address. And you can add to today's conversation in the feedback form in the radio section of our website, ricksteves.com. There's no way but a freeway to get to Iskodar. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today we're looking at Istanbul with my friends Lali and Tan Aran from Istanbul. Sarah emailed us from Portland, Oregon. Sarah just returned from a whirlwind tour of Western Europe with her partner. They'd love to visit Turkey. They're a bit cautious about uh, how gay travelers would be welcomed. Uh, should we stay in the closet when making hotel reservations? In other words, should they ask for separate beds? Should they avoid holding hands in public? As an interracial gay couple, uh, their experiences have been very dynamic, but they just want to be sure they are not making a mistake by going to Turkey. So apparently it's an interracial gay couple. Uh, what concerns would they have? Well, um depends on the part of the country, meaning talking about Turkey. It and, depends and on part of the part of the city they are in in Istanbul. In the old town of Istanbul, they might have mixed reactions. First of all, Turkish people are um, welcoming to everybody. When I say welcoming to everybody, regardless of the sex, the color, the nationality, even if they do not understand or accept or approve, they will not go ahead and react. Let's break this apart in two things. First of all, a, a gay couple. Forget the interracial mm -hmm. thing. Uh, should you stay in the modern areas? Should you kind of uh, be cool and, and not have any sort of public display of affection just out of respect to the, the local traditions when you go to a traditional area? Local traditions suggest, uh, you know, brothers can hold hands and people are affectionate to one another. You can, you, they can walk 
arms and arms, uh, but showing it affection in a different way, maybe out sexual of place. affection, maybe sexual affection, maybe out of place. You know, kissing one another. Or, right. And what know, if you wanted to uh, get a hotel room? Would you be wiser to ask for twin beds or? Uh, no, it's. Uh, I don't Hot- think that's a problem. Hoteliers uh, would not be. A hotels problem. are uh, used to that. Very many of the hotels are used to that. But you in know, the countryside, if they're going to the countryside, it's going to be a whole different issue. I mean, they, it, it's going to be very wise, wise to uh, you know ask for a twin bed. So small, uh, there's small no problem rural towns. Uh, to to men. Um, you know. Sleeping in the same room, there's no problem about that. But if they ask for a double bed, that's yeah. out of place. You, you know, know, all over Europe, when I'm researching with a, a, a guy, so we walk up and I ask for a, a double room, they just shrug their shoulders and say, do you want a double bed or twins? I mean, it's all over Europe, it's, it's generally not a problem in cities. In the countryside, conservative little villages, especially in, probably in Turkey, you'd want to um, sort of uh, be low-key. Uh, and then what about interracial couples? Is, I don't think that's a problem. That's really not, nothing to no, worry about. No, nothing to worry about. All right. Uh, Laura in Santa Barbara has a comment or a question. Hi, Laura. Thanks for your call. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> What's on your mind, uh, Laura? <laughs> well, you've already done a great job of answering the first part of my question, which was regarding um, what to do beyond the central um, tourist sites. Um, but the other part of my question was regarding, you know, when I travel, I love to meet locals and get to know locals. So do you have any suggestions, especially having been in Istanbul, I found that harder to, um, you know, it was easy to talk to men working in their shops, you know, because mm-hmm. they all wanted to converse in English. But, you know, I'd love to be able to have conversations, get to know what life is like from a local per- perspective. Okay, so as a, as a female tourist visiting Istanbul, you find merchants are all over you, and they're mostly men. You want to talk to some women. What's some good tips on exactly. a, a woman meeting a woman in Istanbul? Well, Laura, uh, when you are in the old town of Istanbul or historical touristy part of any city in Turkey, shopkeepers will be willing to talk to you, whether they're female or male, because they have an interest in selling something to you. Mm-hmm. And I cannot describe it as a local experience, because you have something else in mind while approaching to them, and they have something else in their minds while approaching to you. It won't be a genuine Turkish experience, local experience. Because they want to sell you something. Because they want to sell you something, which is understandable. They're just trying to make a living, and it's their job to do that. But if you want to have a real local experience and meet with other women or meet with other men in their regular cultural, social context, you can go outside the touristy zone of any city, there are cafes, tea houses that people socialize. Learning to play backgammon is a good way to start that. Um, it's It's a big thing in Turkey. Both men and women play. You can just go into one of these cafes and find yourself a space, find yourself friends very easily. And if we're talking about Istanbul, there are very nice areas, neighborhoods along the Bosphorus, Far from the old town, maybe, but um, places where you can comfortably socialize without fearing that it might be uncomfortable to you as a woman. So an American woman could go into a tea house in some suburb of Istanbul that's never seen a tourist and just talk to people and and challenge somebody to a game of backgammon? I should not say any tea house, Rick, Mm -hmm. but um, you can look at a tea house from the exterior and see if it is a mixed crowd or if it's only male or if it's a mixed crowd. So if it's only male, it may be just a little bit out of the place for a woman to walk Mm -hmm. in there and challenge a guy to backgammon. That would be quite a stir. I would ever (laughs) gather around (laughs) the battle of the sexes. The American woman meets the Turkish (laughs) macho man. But um, you just can't have a take a look at the place, and if you see a mixed crowd... You shouldn't hesitate going in and finding yourself friends and and companions to travel the city with. What about a a hammam, a Turkish bath that's uh, for women? Is that possible? That is the traditional one. Turkish people, whether men or female, won't bathe with the other sex. Okay. And uh, most of the baths, even in the old town of Istanbul, are still segregated. They cater to the travelers, international travelers, but segregated. So a men's and women's section are separate. But is it a social time after the bath when you're relaxing in the in the lounge area? Only or? with the same sex. Yes. Only with the so same if you, sex. So if a woman wanted to meet other women, they'd be hanging out there. But not in the baths of the old town, again, out of the tourist area. Okay, so if you do it in the old town, you're just a, a big dollar sign. Exactly. Get out of the town exactly. and you find people hanging out. You can out. meet other French, Italian, or Ukrainians, but not the Turkish people. All right. Okay. Great. Now, like that neighborhood you mentioned, Ayup, is that the direction you would head or? 
you can make well in Eyüp there's a mosque where there are benches all around on the exterior making friends you just go on sit on a bench and eventually someone else will take the empty space next to you and you can easily start a conversation there but it's not a place where you would see tea houses where people are playing backgammon okay well great thanks a lot thank you bye now and Nicole in Dallas, what's on your mind? Well, we are very much looking forward to our trip. We're, we're hoping to see some tulips. And we're going to be renting an apartment in Beolu. And in addition to going to the main sites in the older part of town and hanging around the Beolu side a couple of days, we're planning on going on a Bosphorus ferry ride. And a friend of ours, family, is from one of the Princess Islands, um, Buyukada. Yes. And uh, he recommended us very strongly. We, we must go to his island. And we're going to be in Istanbul for a big holiday, and it's apparently a big thing on Buyukuda to go up to Aya Yorgi. And I'm just wondering if that's a good day or is a terrible day to go to Buyukuda. And the other thing I was wondering is I am one of these rare people who wears a hat pretty much all the time, a very nice hat, not a baseball cap. And I'm wondering if I am covered up with long sleeves and long pants, long skirt, whatever, and a hat that covers pretty much my entire head, maybe a little tiny bit of my very short hair might peek out and back, if that is adequate covering for a moth. Well, um, first of all, hello and congratulations, Nicole. You've made a good choice staying in Beolu, renting an apartment. I think you already have a good start for experiencing Istanbul. And what is that neighborhood, Beolu? Beolu, Taksim. Oh, Taksim's Taksim Square. Okay, it's Taksim the area. The apartment we're renting is directly behind the Galatasaray um, High School. Yes, it's a very nice area and it's very lively around the clock. It's hard to get bored in that area. And... Um, just, I'll, I'll, there was a very complicated question from Nicole. Let's just do the hat. Is she okay with the hat in the mosques? You are okay with the hat in the mosques. And actually, when I say women better cover their hair for the mosque, they do not expect you to entirely cover. The expectation is that you respect the culture. Okay. So, so even if it's a baseball cap, you're still okay. And Nicole uh, mentioned the tulips, like people go to Istanbul for tulips. I know that there's some connection with tulips. And what's the story there? The tulip is a flower from the steppes of Central Asia. That's where the Turkish people originated. So when they immigrated from Central Asia to Asia Minor, they brought the bulbs along with them and carried on the tradition of raising tulips. And they raised the tulips for the beauty of them. It was a social thing. There was a tulipomania. How do you say that in English? Tulipomania. Tulipomania in Istanbul. Oh, that's right. During 16th century. Very 16th expensive. 16th century. Very expensive. And uh, after the Ottoman empire, the tradition kind of, it didn't die, but went to a long sleep, I should say. And probably it's a lot to do with the finances. And in the recent years, the Istanbul government started picking up the tradition again. So in every March for the last three years, they plant tulips all around the city, and they plant kinds that will be in blossom from March till June. Huh. One color goes away, the other color comes. In fact, we were just on the main square in front of the Blue Mosque, and there's all sorts of tulip gardens out yes. there. Yes. Mm -hmm. The area between the Blue Mosque and the Hagia Sophia will be planted with beautiful tulips of different kinds. Also, if you have a chance to walk on the waterfront where the city walls are, down from the old town, you will get to see tulip gardens here and there. Tulip mania in the spring in Istanbul. And Nicole was talking about the Princess Islands. My experience was they are sort of a little resort getaway for aristocratic locals or something. Uh, is that a worthwhile visit for tourists? What is your take on the Princess Islands? Depends on the time you have. If you have only three days in Istanbul, it's something I would not suggest. But it sounds like that Nicole has got more time and a more comfortable visit to Istanbul. Princess Islands are beautiful. Büyükada is exceptionally beautiful. Um, the island she was talking about? Yes, Büyükada. It means the large islands. Mm -hmm. um, it's exceptionally beautiful. Old mansions from the 18th, 19th century, once upon a time, it was the resort and for some people year-round residence of, of course, the rich people. And these mansions are handed down from generation to generation, and most of them are still in use by the grand-grandchildren of the people that built those houses. Mm. In Bukada and in the other Princess Islands, there is no motor vehicle traffic at all. It is bicycles or horse-drawn carts that you ride. 
And if you want to get to see Turks on a holiday and what they do on a holiday in a nice spring day, then go to Bukadon. But if you don't care about the crowds, then go there another day. All right. Nicola, you've got a pile of information there from Lali. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that's helpful. Thanks for your call. Thanks. And it Bye. sounds like you've done some good preparation for her trip. Mm-hmm. I'm an obsessive planner. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I've got to, I've got to plug the book that Ton and, and Lolly wrote. I mean, it's the Rick Steves Guide to Istanbul, and they wrote it, and I'm so proud of it. And I just went there for a week, and I did everything in the book. And this city is just brilliant. And when you've got that inside information, you can get away from, you can see the Blue Mosque, but get beyond that. And then you'll go to all these wonderful places with these wonderful insights as if you have a Turkish friend that's your guide. I'm talking with Tan and Lali Aran, who are guides and live in Istanbul. You've just had a little baby. And uh, how old is Zuzu now? Six, Six months. Six months. Whoa. And you've chosen to live uh, way over in the Asian side in a modern suburb. You took me to your house, and it was like driving down an American super freeway. It must have been eight lanes wide. And then we got into your neighborhood, and it's quite a comfortable neighborhood. It's a, it's a secure, it's like a gated community. Don't you have a, a guard? And, yes. And then uh, high-rise condos. And I, I went inside, and I felt like I was in a big American city. Why do you choose to live out there? And uh, what, it's a different slice of Istanbul that most tourists would never get near to. That is true, and we had different reasons for moving as far to a suburban area. First of all, we do not have a 9-to-5 job, and uh, for this reason, we do not have a worry about getting from home to work very early every morning. So that was one thing. We had that time advantage, and we could live in a suburb easily without worrying to be at work on time. And... um, Because it would take an hour to commute. Exactly. And uh, the other reason was that if we wanted to live in the city, in a central area, it's just too expensive. So you just get more bang for your buck in the suburbs. Exactly. That was our primary reason to choose to live in a suburb. And we enjoy having guests. And when our guests come, we have a guest room that they can enjoy. But if we lived in the city itself, it wouldn't be possible. As parents, do you uh, concern yourself with the quality of schools? And was that a factor in choosing to live outside rather than downtown? When we moved there, it was not an issue because we didn't have a child and we were not thinking of having a child back then. It was many years ago. Mm-hmm. But now I see that it was a good decision we gave because there are good schools around where we live. And uh, we don't need to worry about moving elsewhere when our son grows up and comes to the age of schooling. That's great. So it's a good move. You're happy that you live in the neighborhood you are? We got space. You got space, got, yeah. uh, That's important to us because I sit a living in Istanbul, uh, all around the place. Everything seems to be so close to one another, so claustrophobic. So we just wanted to be outside the city. All right. And by the time we purchased that, actually, uh, there was hardly anything in that part of the neighborhood. So we purchased the place on sketch. And it's probably a good investment over time. It turned out to be. All right. We have Paula from Seattle on the line. Paula, thanks for your call. Hi. I was just calling to say that I hope all these people that are getting ready to go to Istanbul open themselves up and get a chance to meet the people on the street, whether it's the guy that sells you uh, pomegranate juice or whether it's the guy who's selling you a rug. Um, We were lucky to go to Istanbul twice And we even went back and visited our rug salesman, and he never tried to sell us another rug. We just had an hour-long conversation with him. It was wonderful. You know, Paula, you make such a good point because I'm kind of skeptical and cynical about these people that are selling stuff to tourists. And they're so nice to me, and they'll talk forever, even when it's clear I'm not going to buy something. And actually, they're just kind of like social people that are working, and they've sold a few things today. And you you don't need to be too... um, negative about the people you meet in the shops and so on. I think they genuinely like people. They're, they're salespeople, but you can make friends and you can get together for tea. You could play a game of backgammon. Who knows, you might uh, arrange a get-together and have dinner together. Yeah, I just wanted to say that that was one of the greatest things about Turkey, that and the children who visit you in the museums. Um, the people are wonderful, and I just hope everyone who goes opens themselves up to the people who live there. Who are the children that visit you in the museums? You mean Well, We've been in museums with the children uh, who are also there, and they come up and visit with you and want to speak English and talk with you, and their teachers have been marvelous. You know, a big smile's on my face because I I can relate to what you're saying. You're (laughs) in the museum to learn about the paintings, and so are the kids, and you're learning about each other. That's right. And the museum is just the excuse to get together. That's right. And the teachers love it when they have their kids exposed to the tourists because you're a window on the West. Yes. Beautiful, Paula. Okay. Thanks for your call. 
I'm speaking with Tan and Lali Aran, tour guides from Istanbul. They run a tour company, and their website is srmtravel.com, srmtravel.com. Lali and Tan have co-authored a guidebook, uh, happens to be the Rick Steves Guidebook to Istanbul. To me, Istanbul is full of magic moments. Tan, if you had a visitor and you wanted to give them one final magic moment in Istanbul, where would you take them? I would take them to the Bosphorus. Why? I don't know why. It's, uh, it's where you see the action of the city. It's where, it's where you see the bustling, bustling action. You're, you're standing in Europe overlooking Asia, and you're right there. In um, rush hour, there's millions that, of people coming. That narrow pass has seen so much, so much in history. You just have to stand there and absorb the air. That's it. And Lolly, where would you take somebody for a magic Istanbul memory? Take them to the Asian coastline on the Bosphorus and ask them to take a look at the skyline of the old town. With the Minarets piercing through the haze, the seagulls flying around the minarets on the domes, hear the chant of the call to prayer meanwhile. It just gives me goosebumps. I live in Istanbul for several years. That sight, that view, and the sound never stopped inspiring me, even for a second. Why don't you welcome everybody to Istanbul in Turkish? Could you do that in Turkish, please? Türkiye'ye hoş geldiniz. İstanbul'a hoş geldiniz. What did you say? Welcome to Istanbul. All right. Teşekkür. Uh, Is that how you? That's how you say thank you. Şey thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more in the radio section of our website. That's where you can find links to our guests, archives of past editions of the program, or send us your original travel haiku, a short essay about where you live, and sign up to be notified of our next recording sessions for the show. It's all in the radio department at ricksteves.com. We get production and technical help from Sarah McCormick, Andrew Wakeling, Robin Cronin, and Jonathan Lee. Our theme music is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm the show's producer, Tim Tatton. Join us again next week for Travel with Rick Steves. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Turkey, Greece, and beyond, one small group at a time. And this year, we're offering more than 30 exciting itineraries, including a week in Istanbul, the best of Turkey, and Athens and the heart of Greece. For a free tour catalogue and Rick Steves Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour section at ricksteves.com.